The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks looking to bounce back after their worst week since August. Futures are higher. This after investors brace for a very busy week of earnings, central bank decisions, and economic reports, we highlight the market-moving events that are on tap. Also ahead, as Apple prepares to lift the curtain on its new desktop lineup, we speak with another major global PC maker, Lenovo, about their plans to ride the AI wave. Plus, Nelson Peltz gets just a little help in his fight against Disney and CEO Bob Iger. And then later in the show, after a whirlwind 72 hours, General Motors now the lone holdout against the UAW, and they're paying a very big price today. It is Monday, October the 30th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. I hope you had a great weekend. Let's kick off the hour as we always do with the check on U.S. stock futures after the Dow's worst day in nearly four weeks and its worst week for the markets since August. Take a look at futures, though. They're solidly in the green. Looks like the Dow would open up just about 140 points higher than NASDAQ, more than a half a percent higher. Investors waking up with a lot to chew on for this week. 30 percent of the S&P 500 reporting earnings, just barely, just a tick below last week. We should hit the earnings season halfway point by the end of the day today. Names of note, Berkshire Hathaway, McDonald's, Caterpillar, Pfizer, Qualcomm, and of course, the biggest, Apple. Also on the radar for investors, a Bank of Japan rate decision tomorrow, Federal Reserve decision due on Wednesday, and a U.K. rate decision on Thursday. All that capped off with the October jobs report on Friday. Ahead of all that, we're taking a look at the bond market. The benchmark 10-year at the 4.85% yield. Also important to note, the two-year yield still above 5%. The 30-year as well, back above 5%. Ross, look at the energy market right now, specifically oil. We always start with WTI, the U.S. benchmark on oil, at 83.95, down almost 2% this morning. Brent crude's back below 90 bucks a barrel, down just over 1.5%. Natural gas, the hardest hit, down 4% in the pre-market. That is your Monday money setup. We now want to turn our attention to some breaking news this morning. Let's get to Washington, D.C., and a news alert from the White House. We have our Eamon Javer standing by with the headlines. Eamon, good morning. Good morning, Frank. This is an extraordinarily wide-ranging executive order that we're seeing out of the White House today. It's directing just about every federal agency to regulate and shape the growth of AI in an effort to protect the public, the economy, and national security. President Biden's power is limited here to the executive branch, but remember, with Congress unable to or unlikely to be able to produce any new laws uh, until next year, if at all, this is uh, likely to be the most aggressive piece of American regulation over this fast-growing new industry for some time. Among the safety measures the White House is announcing here, Biden will require developers of the most powerful AI systems to share their safety test results with the U.S. government. 
The U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology will set, quote, rigorous standards for extensive red team testing to ensure safety before public release of AI products. And agencies that do biotech projects will be required to develop strong new standards for biological synthesis screening In an effort to limit deepfakes and misinformation, the Department of Commerce will develop guidance for content, authentication, and watermarking to clearly label AI-generated content and to prevent AI-fueled leaps in cyber attacks. The administration says it will use AI tools to develop uh, and find fix Uh, find and fix vulnerabilities in critical software. There's also an effort here to stop unintentional AI-based discrimination. The order will provide guidance to landlords, federal benefits programs, and federal contractors to keep AI algorithms from being used to worsen discrimination. Uh, And the Department of Justice and federal civil rights offices will train on how to investigate and prosecute civil rights violations related to AI. And in a nod to concerns that AI could be on the brink of eliminating millions of jobs, Frank, Biden is directing his administration to write a report on AI's potential labor market impacts and study and identify options for strengthening federal support for workers who are facing labor disruptions from AI. Back over to you. All right, our Eamon Javers live in D.C. with some breaking news from the White House. So, Eamon, just taking some notes while you were talking, I kept hearing you say the words guidance and framework. How much teeth does this executive order have? Well, it has a lot in the sense that the president here is ordering a huge chunk of the federal government to take AI-related action, but it is just an executive order. And some of these things, as with the workplace announcement, uh, are just reports that need to be written. Um, The other process here that you go through with the federal government is, you know, writing these uh, measures of guidance. You've got to write uh, regulations around all this. So that takes process, uh, process and time. So I wouldn't expect necessarily huge changes to happen immediately here, Frank, uh, but it is an indication that AI is top of mind for this administration. Yeah, absolutely, Eamon. Uh, While we have you, we have some other tech-related news in D.C. today. We have a major development in the Google antitrust trial today. What's happening there? Well, what we're going to see today is Google CEO Sundar Pichai is going to be testifying. It's his opportunity later today in federal court to meet his accusers at the Department of Justice who say that Google uh, and his alphabet uh, basically bought their way to market dominance improperly uh, by paying to have Google as the default search engine on a whole host of devices and services. Uh, We learned some huge numbers around those payments last week, and Pichai is going to be expected to have to defend that and say that that is proper behavior. It's not anti-competitive. We'll have to see uh, what he says in court today, but we do expect him to be on the stand for a couple of hours later on this morning. Yeah, and an important note, uh, Alphabet share is actually up right now in the pre-market. Believe that's on a lot of enthusiasm over its investment in an open AI competitor, Anthropic. So coming full circle, uh, AI, top of mind in D.C. today. Eamon Javers live in D.C. Thank you, you very much. All right, we're going to turn our attention back to Wall Street ahead of a very busy week for stocks. October really living up to its reputation as one of the worst for stocks. The major averages on pace for their third straight negative month. The Nasdaq leading the losses in October down almost four and a half percent. The mega cap tech names that powered nearly all of this year, this year's rally. They've also felt most of the pressure during the downturn. The so-called Magnificent Seven. We're talking Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA and Tesla. They've shed roughly one and a quarter trillion dollars in value since the S&P 500 peaked back on July 31st. Apple, which reports earnings on Thursday, has lost the most value since the end of July, just about four hundred and eighty eighty one billion. 
And it's not just the U.S. markets. The MSCI All World Index ETF, which tracks global large and mid cap stocks, also headed for its third straight month of declines, down 4%. Let's discuss this further now with Troy Gajewski, chief market strategist at FS Investments, a firm with $76 billion in assets under management. Troy, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. How are you, buddy? All right. So we just laid out some of the pressure on the markets. Give us a sense. What do you, what's your view of the markets in the near term? Obviously, we have some big market moving events, Fed decision, Apple earnings, et cetera. Yeah. So in the near term, we're a little bit oversold. So we'd expect a bounce in the short term. But when you think about the next several weeks, it really gets back to whether yields have actually peaked at the 10 year or not. Um, because if yields continue to go higher and uh, reach 5%, you can say go 5.1 to 5.2, you're certainly going to have more downside. You know, the bottom line is the Fed's almost done with uh, hiking in the front end. We think they're very close. However, they continue to drain their balance sheet aggressively. Money supply continues to shrink. And, and we're in another round of multiple compression, very similar to last year, where we went from 21.2 times forward earnings to 15.75. So it's Got certainly it. a time to be defensive, focus well, on strategies that have a high income. So let me ask you, you're saying it's time to be defensive, but if we're near the peak in rates, is this a possible buy the dip moment if you think that we're pretty close to the peak? Well, for, for the next several days, potentially, but until we have a recession or there's some type of type of market calamity or major risk off, far worse than we're seeing here, but, you know, more in line with what we've seen in, say, the Eurozone crisis, the Fed is going to continue to drain their balance sheet and suck liquidity out of markets. It's very hard to have a sustainable bull market in the asset class when liquidity is shrinking. All right. So if you're not that bullish when it comes to equities, let's talk about bonds. Now, you believe the bond yields, they've spiked for fundamental reasons, uh, better than expected economic growth, uh, Fed saying higher for longer. So why not put money into short-term bonds right now? Yeah, so uh, we think that most investors should have more cash than they typically have historically, whether that's ultra-short bonds or whether that's cash because the yields are attractive. Our, our broader point to investors is how much cash are you going to own? Is it 5 10 15%? If you're going to take more risk, you can either do it through alternatives that have slightly higher returns, say make 7 8 9 10%, or um, if you're going to reach for even more risk uh, in, in things like listed BDCs, make sure you have very attractive waterfalls of cash to help dampen that volatility and over time generate okay. a more attractive. So, Troy, in all fairness, your firm, FS Investments, really focuses on alternatives. Um, mm -hmm. So you are saying right now is the time to get in alternatives. You're saying that they're democratized and higher yield. Give us an example of what you're talking about. Yeah. So in terms of true alternatives, you have senior secured commercial real estate lending, you have strategies like middle market lending packaged as perpetual BDCs where you have much less volatility. You even have daily liquid multi-strategy funds that have you know, very low volatility, very attractive income around 6% net with the potential to generate two to 300 basis points more of alpha. Um, so broadly, th think okay. about this not as a lost decade, but as a challenging market for equities and fixed income. Uh, the good news is there's alternatives that can generate high single digits or maybe even better in the right environments. All right, Troy Gajewski, great to see you here. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Frank. All right, we're going to turn our attention overseas to Europe and see how its trading day is shaping up right now. Our Jamana Brissetti is in our London newsroom with much more in the early action. Jamana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, we saw some cautiousness prevail in the Asian session, pretty mixed handover from the Asian equity market. But over here in Europe, every single one of the indices is trading in positive territory. We're gearing up for a massive week in Europe as well in terms of earnings. The likes of BP, Shell, GSK, Novo Nordisk, just some of the names that are reporting this week. 
But you can see this morning we are brushing off some of the negativity from Friday. FTSE 100 in focus in the UK up nine-tenths of a percent. We had lots of bad news in the banking sector last week. The likes of NatWest, Standard Chartered, fall double digits last week. But today, seeing some positive momentum there. Mining stocks are doing quite well within the FTSE 100. Zetradax as well in Germany up seven-tenths of a percent there. We're seeing a bit of a boost in Siemens Energy. That's one of the stocks that came under selling pressure last week. Today, seeing some of a bounce as well. And then the Cacahons in France up seven-tenths of a percent. The major, the best-performing sectors, I should say, within Europe are travel, media and retail, which is one of the reasons why the French index is doing so well, given the concentration of that index. But I want to take your attention to one stock in particular we're watching today, and that is HSBC. Marginal positive reaction to the banking stock today, up seven-tenths of a percent. They have announced a new $3 billion share buyback program after reporting third-quarter profit that actually missed analyst estimates. Pre-tax profit rose to $7.7 billion from $3.2 billion a year earlier. The net interest margin, of course, that's been a big focus for the banking sector, rose 19 basis points on the year to 1.7%, but dipped two basis points on the quarter as customers moved to fixed-term deposits. Despite all of that, investors are cheering on the fact that they've introduced this $3 billion share buyback program. So one of the specs of green within the UK banking system over the last couple of days, Frank. And don't forget, within the UK, we have the Bank of England meeting coming up on Thursday. That's going to be a big one for the investment community as well. Yeah, big week for central bank decisions. We're going to be looking at banking here in the U.S. later in the show. Jamana, great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, Nelson Peltz gets just a little bit of help from his friends as he puts the squeeze on Disney. And as we get set for today's Apple hardware unveil, we're going to speak with global PC maker Lenovo and new plans to jump on the AI bandwagon with a very special partner. And then later in the show... The 10-year yield hovers pretty close to 5%. The rate risk for regional banks continues to loom large. We speak with the CEO of Old National, based out of Indiana. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, happy Monday. Good morning. Happy Monday. Good morning to you, Frank. Well, the United Auto Workers widening its strike against General Motors over the weekend, targeting the company's Spring Hill, Tennessee plant. That's its largest in North America, employing some 4,000 union workers. GM is the last holdout among Detroit's big three after the union secured a tentative deal with Jeep parent Stellantis Saturday in a deal that mirrors the one reached with Ford last week, which includes 
$6.1 billion in new plant investments, $5,000 in ratification bonuses, and 25% compound wage increases. Well, it turns out Nelson Peltz has a little bit more power in his corner in his round two proxy battle with Disney. The Wall Street Journal reports billionaire and former Marvel executive Ike Perlmutter is offering logistical, financial, and moral support as Peltz pushes for big changes at Disney, including board seats. According to the report, Perlmutter has given Tryon voting control of his stake in the company, which boosts Peltz's already sizable $2.5 billion reported stake. With Perlmutter, Tryon now has nearly four times as many voting shares as it did during its first proxy campaign. And Ozempic may have some new competition. Innovant Biologics and Eli Lilly say their obesity drug, Mazdatide, helped people lose weight for almost a year during a mid-stage study in China with an average 18.6% body weight loss after 48 weeks. Late-stage trials begin later this year. And let's see, shares, Frank, higher in the pre-market. Look at that, 4.5% for Innovent Biologics. Yeah, I'm not going to even do a lot of math right now. But losing 18% of your body weight, that sounds... I, I was thinking, I was like, that sounds... A I, lot. Yeah, it a sounds lot. like a lot, right? I'm not, you know, I'm going to get a calculator later. We, we'll talk about well, we'll this. We'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk but about as it. you said, stock's up right now, so it yep. must be good. It must be good. Right. Silvana, we'll see you later in the show. See you later. All right, we're going to turn our attention now to a developing story as the war between Israel and Hamas now enters its fourth week. Over the weekend, Israel beginning what it calls the second stage of its war with Hamas, deploying ground operations into the northern part of Gaza. Sky News Security and Defense Editor Deborah Haynes joins me now from Israel, just about two miles away from the outskirts of the Gaza Strip. Deborah, good morning. Our, our team just heard what they believe were airstrikes in the distance. Give us a sense of what's going on on the ground right now. Good morning. Yes, well, we just heard another Israeli warplane up ahead. Um, all morning, there have been a lot of airstrikes into Gaza. Um, you, we, they've been hitting all across this part of the Strip. We saw a strike to the northern tip over there. You can see behind me um, some of the built-up area. There have been a few strikes there. But then earlier this morning, we counted about eight warplanes, some of them moving in a formation of four. Uh, and they seem to be targeting in that direction, which is towards Gaza City. You might be able to hear uh, a boom. There's also some artillery positions over in that direction um, firing onto Gaza in support of these ground troops that are currently operating inside the city. Now, we are not um, down there on the ground with them, so we can't independently verify exactly what's going on. And we do have to rely on what the Israeli military is saying in its updates. But in its most recent update, it described the kinds of battles that are happening on the ground with Israeli forces engaging with Hamas militants inside buildings, also in underground in this network of tunnels that Hamas uses to hide from the airstrikes and to launch strikes back on Israel. And it's important to say it's not going all in one direction. Of course, Israel has overwhelming military superiority, but Hamas still seems to retain the ability to strike back. We had some rockets coming uh, just in the direction over that way, not to our location, but we could see the Iron Dome air defense system firing up their intercept missiles and then patches of smoke in the sky as the rockets were intercepted. 
This mission that Israel launched in the wake of the October the 7th attacks by Hamas here is designed, according to the Prime Minister, to destroy Hamas, but also to rescue more than 200 hostages that are being held captive inside Gaza. He said that the, um, the, the military operation will take time, but clearly they'll want some urgency in terms of rescuing those hostages. So I want to ask you, over the weekend, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warned this would be a long and difficult fight. Um, what are you hearing on the ground just about the situation when it comes to this fight? You mentioned that Israel has a superior military. How much progress is Israel making in their campaign? Well, it is quite difficult to see what the progress is. It's clearly, um, this hasn't been um, a massive full-scale invasion that people might have envisaged. Instead, it's, it seems to have been smaller scale. We don't actually know the numbers of troops involved. We just know from what the military is saying that it's some of their best soldiers. Um, it seems as though it's more surgical, going in, trying to hit specific targets, supported by sh warships that are, that are being directed to fire in missiles on targets, and also warplanes, as we've heard this morning. But it's really important as well to talk about the, the civilian population inside Gaza that are suffering huge casualties. The Israeli military have asked civilians to move from the north, and they have done in large numbers, but some still do remain in harm's way. Israel, too, has talked about how Hamas is using hospitals to, in their words, wage war from, and warning that the use of hospitals in this way by Hamas could mean that they lose their protections under international law. Now, that is a hugely controversial area because there are injured people in these hospitals and also people taking shelter there too. And Israel is under huge pressure to ensure that its operation maintains uh, the boundaries and operates within the boundaries of the laws of war. All right. Deborah Haynes from Sky News reporting very close to the Gaza Strip. Deborah, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, shares of McDonald's. They've been beaten up in recent weeks, but my next guest says today's earnings report will help it turn the corner. Wedbush lays out the bull case for the Golden Arches. We are back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Apple holding an online-only scary fast launch event today where it's expected to unveil new MacBooks, iMacs, and major chip updates. This coming just days after PC maker Lenovo held its own global tech event announcing a $1 billion investment in AI innovation through its AI for All vision. As part of that vision, Lenovo will be expanding its partnership with NVIDIA through new hybrid solutions as it looks to bring generative AI to every enterprise. Joining me now with more on that announcement in a first on CNBC interview is Vlad Rizanovich, Lenovo, Senior Vice President for Worldwide Infrastructure Solutions. Vlad, good morning. Great to have you here. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? Good seeing you. That's great to see you as well. So first Thank off, uh, Lenovo, you get about just three quarters of your revenue from PCs, laptops, et cetera. Uh, give us a sense. What's the state of that business right now? And how does AI, how does it change it? 
Sure. As you mentioned, Frank, one of the things that we did last week, we had an amazing event, our flagship event in Austin, Texas, uh, called our Tech World event. And one of the things that we actually introduced there is our AI for All initiative. Uh, and so this is something that's really taking advantage of all of Lenovo, Lenovo's product offerings for the entire market. We talked about the vision of AI, where it's going, talking about our public foundational models, our private foundational models, and our personal foundational models uh, for AI. And one of the things that's going to do, it's going to actually span our entire portfolio from the pocket to the cloud. So when you look at our Motorola uh, cell phones, they're going to have AI in them. When you look at our award-winning laptops, our ThinkPads and our Yogas, they're going to have AI in them. And so what's this, what this is really going to do, it's going to create this vision of AI for all. Because there's certain information, Frank, that we want to make sure it's private. Private okay. to you as a consumer. You know, privacy is a key issue. Uh, just a short time ago on the show, I don't know if you heard it, but uh, we had our reporter, Eamon Javers, talk about the new executive order from the White House. How does that impact your plans going forward? Again, Lenovo investing $1 billion in AI innovation over the next three years. Yeah, Frank, one of the things Lenovo is going to do is we're going to make sure we comply to all government regulations in all the 180 markets that we operate in. So this is something we're taking a very close eye on, and we're going to make sure that we respond from an appropriate business standpoint. Um, and as you mentioned, we did invest a lot of money in AI. Over the last two years, we've actually said that we've uh, generated about $2 billion uh, worth of, of revenue, particularly in areas like edge AI for retail and healthcare and manufacturing okay. uh, and through our AI innovators program. So this is absolutely an area that we're going to make sure we are focused on both in the public space, the private space, and also in the personal space. You know, but I want to ask you, I want to go back to one of the first things you said. I just want to make sure the audience understands what is a foundational model? Yeah, so this is a great question, Frank. So one of the things that you think of is if you look at something like ChatGPT, ChatGPT is one of those public foundational models that everybody can take advantage of. But what it does is it takes all that data that's collected uh, on, a, on a worldwide web type basis and actually using that as the basis for your foundation. As I've been off talking to CIOs, there's also this concept of making sure that you have private foundational models. So this may be for corporations who want to keep their data protected and safe and customer inf information uh, and IP information. They want to make sure that that's held private. And that's when you look at the vision that Lenovo has when, when it's talking about AI for all. When we start looking at that personal foundational model, this could be those, those private areas within your cell phone, okay. within your PC, where it doesn't go out to the public right. cloud. Has a feeling we might be hearing more about foundational model models as we go forward, especially after this executive order. So just a short time ago, we were showing basically the global PC market share. Lenovo is the leader. However, you've seen a, a recent sales slump. Today, Apple has a big event focused on PCs and Macs. Um, what do you think about this event? How does Apple reinvigorating their lineup potentially, how, how does it impact the, the business and the market? Yeah, Frank, one, one of the things that we always seen if you, if you track the GDP model uh, throughout time, IT and technology has always tracked above that. Uh, and, and so if you looked at last week, you saw some really good encouraging results from the U.S. GDP. And so that's something that we're tracking very, very closely. Uh, Lenovo, when we looked at some of the channel issues that we had over the last year, when you look at some of the, uh, some of the, uh, the slumping areas, those are areas that we have actually invested in. We made okay. sure that we cleaned up. And we actually feel very, very good about the uh, the promise of the PC market moving forward. All right. That's your business. What do you think about this Apple event coming up? 
Well, it's it's interesting. You know, Apple is a uh, a leader in in their ecosystem. Uh, but one of the things you look at is if you look at the partnership that Lenovo has with customers, uh, clients like Microsoft, okay. and you look at what Microsoft is doing in the x86 infrastructure. At our Tech World event, we had Microsoft, we had Intel, AMD, Nvidia, Understood. Qualcomm. All there to talk about the ecosystem that we're creating as well. Understood. Trying to focus on your business. Vlad Rosanovich, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Frank. All right. As we had to break, today's big consumer stat, 4.2%. That's the inflation expectation for the year ahead. Up a full percentage point since last month and the highest since May. That's according to the University of Michigan. We'll see if that sticky inflation hits McDonald's bottom line when it reports today. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this. It's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks are looking to shake off their worst week since August as big tech looks to end a rough month on a high note. Futures this morning, they are higher. Bond yields, meantime, moving the other ways. The Treasury weighs some changes to its fourth quarter debt auctions. We are going to explain. And then later, the rate risk remains front and center for investors and regional banks all across the country. We check in once again with the CEO of Old National in a first on CNBC interview coming up. It is Monday, October the 30th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. As always, let's pick up half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after the Dow's worst week since August. Take a look. Green across the board, the Dow moving higher. Looks like it would open up about 150 points higher. It's been a rough month for stocks as we look to close out October. The major averages on pace for their third straight negative month. The Nasdaq leading the losses in October. You can see here down just about four and a half percent. And then in the bond market, bond traders and big banks, they keeping, they're keeping a focus on November 1st and the Treasury's announcement for fourth quarter bond, bond auction sizes. Many expecting a repeat of the changes made back in August, like boosting the 10-year auction each month by $3 billion. Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and others are predicting similar changes to the 30-year as well. Ahead of that, let's take a look at yields. The benchmark 10-year at 4.86, down about 15 to 20 basis points from its peak just earlier this month. All right, to earnings and watching shares of McDonald's, with the company set to report third-quarter numbers before the open this morning. Ahead of those results, shares are down more than 12% in the past three months compared to the S&P's 10% loss. Top of mind for investors today, some concerns that have been weighing on the stock since its Q2 beat back in July. Higher, higher interest rates, inflation, currency concerns, and the long-term impact of weight loss drugs on appetites and demand. Joining me now, Nick Sation, uh, Wedbush Securities Managing Director of Equity Research. Nick, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right, morning. Uh, let's just start off. What's your rating? What's your price target? What's your expectations for the report later today? Uh, well, I'm going to outperform. Uh, you know, I do think that uh, all of the uh, the focus really is on any kind of potential slowdown in October. Uh, you know, that's really what's been weighing uh, on the stock, in my opinion, at least as of late. The credit card data, et cetera, you know, conversations with franchisees, channel checks uh, across the board. Uh, there's some some nervousness that October has slowed in terms of sense of sales growth. Gotcha. Um, a lot of talk about Ozempic and its impact, not only on food companies, but even consumer staples. Last week, we had the CEO of Chipotle saying he believed that their company was somewhat Ozempic proof because they have healthy options. How does McDonald's fare when it comes to this battle against Ozempic? Well, there's certainly a lot of focus around Ozempic. Uh, it's very hard to discern any kind of near-term impact. 
thinking the medium to, to longer term, there, there may be a little bit of an impact uh, on the margin, but it's uh, very difficult to, uh, you know, look at numbers and say that it could have anything, any kind of meaningful impact, let's say anything above like 1% in terms of a comp headwind in any given year. All right. So in your mind, not a meaningful tail, uh, headwind for McDonald's right now. Uh, again, shares up ahead of the open. Um, we're looking at things like higher interest rates, the stretched consumer. How does that impact this report in your mind? How does it impact the long term thesis for McDonald's? Well, the high, higher interest rates, uh, I don't think there's uh, anything around higher interest rates that's going to be meaningfully uh, impact the current quarter or near-term guidance. Uh, I do think inflation, uh, both in, in EMEA and in the U.S., is a, is a very big uh, you know, focus, especially in terms of the, the inflation rates, food cost inflation in, in Europe, uh, which has stayed even more uh, persistent than the U.S., um, and I certainly think that, uh, you know, the, the spending habits, particularly, again, in, in EMEA, which is uh, in, in worse shape uh, than in the U.S., is, is, is going to be a big focus as well. You know, thus far, even with those markets being under pressure, McDonald's been comping high single digits, low double digits. So it's been a big surprise. And the question is, can they actually outdo themselves because they've been doing so well for the last couple of years? So it's all really, I think, about, just, uh, you know, uh, anniversary and very tough comparisons okay. as opposed to any macro headwinds impacting uh, McDonald's. There we go. Nick Sadian of, of uh, Wedbush saying Ozempic, not so much a factor. Inflation is. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Turning to the banking sector, Regional Bank Old National announcing it's acquiring Community Bank Capstar Financial Holdings in an all-stock transaction in an effort to boost Old National's Nashville presence. This after Old National reported a 3% growth in total deposits during its most recent quarter with disciplined total loan growth and net interest income. Key metric there coming in better than expected. Shares of Old National have been outperforming the broader regional banking ETF, though both are still negative year to date. For more on the acquisition in the state of regional banking, I'm joined in a first on CNBC interview by Jim Ryan, CEO of Old National. Jim, it is great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. All right. So, Jim, you first joined us not too long after the collapse of SVB. We got to check on the regional banks then. Give us a sense of where we are when it comes to regional banks now and why you felt the confidence to acquire a community bank. I still believe the banking industry is very healthy overall. You know, despite the fact that interest rates are up significantly over the last year, our industry continues to be successful, continues to help consumers and communities out, small businesses out. Um, and I think, you know, you're seeing a, a, a nice rebound in deposit growth this quarter. And obviously, we were up 3%, which was a little bit better than the market. But we were really pleased that we continue to grow deposits um, in this kind of, you know, challenging, difficult um, environment. So give us a sense. You actually uh, you, you saw growth when it came to net interest income. That's really a key metric for every bank, just for the audience's edification. That's the spread between the interest you pay out to depositors and the interest you earn on loans. Give us a sense. What gave you the ability to grow that? I think it's really the, our ability to grow deposits and use those deposits to fund new commercial and small business and mortgage loans. Um, if we can continue to do that, you know, and, and we outperformed our own expectations, um, you know, with respect to our ability to do that. And that's really um, around how much do we have to pay for those cost of deposits? How much does it cost us to acquire a new deposit? Um, and we were successfully able to do that this quarter. 
All right. So you had some success there. We also, when we first spoke to you, talked about your treasury holdings. We continue to see rates move higher. Give us a sense. What's going on with your treasury holdings? What losses, unrealized or realized, you're looking at right now? And how are you managing that part of your portfolio? You know, like all of us, I think we continue to think about managing our portfolios a little bit shorter in this type of environment. Uh, And the reality is, um, much of those investments, you know, more than $1.4 billion of those investments will reprice in the next 12 months. Uh, In addition, you know, we have uh, another several billion dollars of fixed rate loans that will reprice over the next 12 months. And I think all of that will give relief both to the net interest margin. So we'll be able to reinvest at higher interest rates, uh, you know, going forward. So we feel very comfortable with our position today. Um, and it's just timing more than anything else. And so in the next 12 months and, and, and thereafter, you know, I think bank balance sheets will continue to rebound uh, and adjust to these new higher interest rates. All right. So we talked about your disciplined loan growth. That stat that we gave, the 2% growth, that ex- excluded commercial real estate. Um, give us a sense. You're in the Midwest, a bit different than the, the coast, uh, whether it be San Francisco or New York area where we are right now. Where is the Midwest at when it comes to commercial loans, specifically tied to commercial real estate? In commercial real estate is definitely a little softer than it was, um, but there are still projects that are getting done. Uh, you mentioned our most recent partnership that we announced last Thursday. And in my hotel room, I was looking out across the Nashville landscape, and I saw seven cranes in the air, you know, building new projects. So um, I, I think there's still a lot of great projects that are getting done. They're a little bit tougher than they were they were before, um, but there's still quite a bit of demand out there. And, and so they, uh, we're seeing, you know, strong demand overall uh, for the right borrowers. We are absolutely open for business and continuing to find uh, new opportunities to put money to work. All right, Jim Ryan, CEO of Old National Bank. It is always great to see you. Thank you very much for coming back on. Thank you, Frank. All right, have a great day. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a rough morning for Newell just got even worse, courtesy of J.P. Morgan. We will explain. Stay with us. But first, as we had to break some of your top trending stories, Ego betting on a clean sweep in stores with its latest product. That's the Ego Vac, the waffle maker teaming up with Bissell on a $150 robot vacuum that looks just like a toasted waffle covered in butter and syrup. (laughs) Okay. Bizzle says the Ego Vac is a testament to innovation (laughs) meeting convenience. All right, Five Nights at Freddy's killing its competition at the box office this weekend. The video game movie adaptation bringing in $78 million in North America and $130 million in global sales during its debut in theaters and on NBC-owned Peacock. And Travis Kelsey taking on a new kind of game, that's barbecue. Kelsey unveiling a new line of flavorful refrigerated barbecue entrees inspired by Kansas City's most iconic flavors. The dishes will be exclusively available at Walmart and include sliced brisket and brisket burnt ends with mac and cheese. Very specific business for Travis Kelsey, riding the wave of his Taylor Swift uh, popularity. All right, that's it for us. See you after the break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to start with Barclays upgrading AbbVie to overweight from equal weight and raising its price target by 6% to $170. Barclays says Friday's sell-off was likely an overreaction to external factors in the biopharma sector, overshadowing an otherwise solid earnings report. Looking at shares of AbbVie this morning, not moving in the pre-market. All right, J.P. Morgan is downgrading new old brands to neutral and cutting its price target to $7. It says the company's third quarter results were disappointing again, And the earnings call didn't offer much reassurance that Newell's challenges will be resolved in the short to medium term. Shares of that company down just over one and a half percent. 
And Baird is hitting the pause button on Datadog, downgrading the cloud services company to neutral. It's also cutting its price target to $84 from $100. While there are still several positives surrounding the company, Baird believes growth targets for 2024 are just too high. Shares of Datadog this morning down almost 1%. And time now for your global briefing this morning. Uh, we are watching shares of HSBC following a 235% jump in after-tax profit compared to a year ago as it benefits from the higher interest rate environment. The bank also announcing $3 billion in share buybacks and noting that costs related to technology and operating spending will likely increase by up to 5% this year. Shares of Chinese property giant Evergrande hitting an all-time low today after a Hong Kong judge delayed a court hearing meant to address its wind-up petition for liquidation. The judge moving the hearing to the start of December, calling it the last adjournment and warning the court is very unlikely to issue a winding-up order unless Evergrande has a concrete restructuring proposal. And Canadian labor union Unifor officially striking at all Stellantis plants in the country after failing to reach an agreement on wages and on pensions. The union, which accounts for more than 8,000 members, says it has made progress and will continue to negotiate with Stellantis after reaching deals with Ford and General Motors earlier this month. Ahead, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. But first, President Biden unveiling a new executive order focused on on AI. We have the details when we return. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap up. We begin with United Auto Workers widening their strike against General Motors over the weekend, targeting the company's largest plant in North America. GM is the last holdout among Detroit's big three after the union security tentative deal with Jeep parent company Stellantis on Saturday. The Wall Street Journal reports billionaire and former Marvel executive Ike Perlmutter is offering logistical, financial and even moral support to Nelson Peltz as he pushes for big changes at Disney, including board seats. Innovent Biologics and Eli Lilly shares they're both higher after the two said their obesity drug, Mazditude, helped people lose weight for almost a year during a mid-stage study in China. Late-stage trials begin later this year. Breaking this morning, the White House unveiling a new executive order on artificial intelligence requiring new safety assessments, equity and civil rights guidance, and research on the tech's impact on the labor market. And sticking with D.C., Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai is set to take the stand in the Department of Justice's trial against Google's search engine today. His testimony is expected to last at least half of the day. Here's what to watch in the week ahead. We have 30 percent of the S&P 500 reporting just barely below what we saw last week. We should hit the earnings season's halfway point by the end of today. Names of note reporting today, Berkshire Hathaway, McDonald's, Caterpillar, Pfizer, Qualcomm, and the biggest one, we have Apple. And those are reporting all week, I should say, not just today. Also on the radar for investors, a Bank of Japan dis- rate decision tomorrow, Federal Reserve decision due on Wednesday, and a U.K. rate decision on Thursday, all capped off with the October jobs report on Friday. Let's talk much more about the week ahead and the trades within the trade. We have Amy Will Silverman, head of derivative strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, good morning. It is always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. All right. So we just talked about everything that's going on out there. With that in mind, what's your WEX word of the day? 
So my WEX word of the day is heavyweight and heavyweight as it specifically uh, refers to the mega cap tech stocks. And as you saw last week, if tech goes, the market goes. And obviously that could work vice versa with heavyweight Apple reporting this week. All right. So you're talking heavyweight. You also gave us some of your research about the growing influence of the Magnificent Seven and mega cap tech on the markets overall. So let's just start with the S&P 500. So just a year ago, those mega cap names they had about a 20 percent weighting in the S&P. Now it's about 27 percent. What does that mean for investors? Yeah, it's it's really there's been more contribution to return, essentially. So if you look at how the S&P has done year to date, 90 percent of that contribution return has come from that magnificent seven. If you drill down to the sector level, I think I gave you the communication sector as well. That went from a weight that I believe was about 40 percent to 50 percent. So there are just these huge weights that are very concentrated in these tech stocks. And from an options perspective, what makes me a little nervous is the sentiment change has really gone from very positive, very optimistic, folks buying call options to the opposite. There's a lot of waning interest in that upside, and there's continued demand for folks purchasing that downside and becoming more bearish on these names. Give us a sense how dramatic of a change this is. You're saying you're getting concerned. So Increased weighting of these mega cap tech names on all the major uh, indices, also a lot of the big ETFs. We just shown them a minute ago and the sentiments turning more bearish. What does that tell you? Yeah, to give you some numbers to make it a little bit more helpful, when NVIDIA first reported its earnings, that was obviously a blow at earnings. That was the beginning of investors saying, holy cow, this AI could really be a thing. So we saw that demand for call options. We call it call skew go to its essentially its 100th percentile. If you look back over a year, that has gone down to zero over that year. So it's gone to its absolute high point, call it back in the summer, to now essentially the lowest it's been historically. So when we talk about waning sentiment, we're really at polar ends of the spectrum right now for essentially all of the names in the Magnificent Seven, not just NVIDIA. All right, a very dramatic reversal right there. We're looking at shares of NVIDIA, by the way, uh, up just about 200% over the last year, big jump this year as well. I also want to talk to you about Apple, uh, biggest uh, heaviest weighting in almost every portfolio or weighting in a lot of portfolios, such an influential stock on the markets. What is the sentiment in the option market telling you about how investors view this report and this stock right now? Yeah, so when you look at the option sentiment, it's similar to the other Magnificent Seven names we've seen, that waning upside sentiment, that bearish downside sentiment. Now, the one wrinkle to Apple is it's been a name that's already been hit because of its exposure to China. When you can, I look at its revenue exposure to China. It's much worse than all the other stocks in the Magnificent Seven. So that has already been hit. Now, one thing we're seeing that's a little bit interesting here, Frank, is there's actually a lot of upside purchase, purchases going on in the China-related ETFs like FXI. So you're seeing people sort of say, you know, could we be at a point, a tipping point, where China actually could rally? You don't see that in Apple itself yet. But if that does happen, then that's probably mispriced from an options perspective, because, again, we're seeing waning upside there compared to the FXI calls we're seeing purchased on the ETF itself. You know, Amy, I, I want to be clear. So you, when you say you're seeing more bullish bets on the FXI, is that also a sign? Do you believe that's also going to benefit Apple or hurt Apple? I just want to be clear. So it's sort of independent, right? So FXI is just the ETF right. that is related to China. But what I'm saying is, if investors are right about the call on FXI itself, that China could have a rally from here, that would be a benefit to Apple because of how much revenue exposure is coming from the China region, both from the supply chain and obviously, you know, potentially from okay. any reversal in, in some of the orders they have. 
All right, Amy Wu Silverman, always great to see you. Thank you very much for the insight on the options market and everything else. Thank Good you. Good to see you. All right, that's going to do it for us. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.